0: Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support.
1: Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 21. I'm Kane Pittman, I'm joined by Ty Windish as always, and we are in a much better place than we were around episode 20. The Bucs level the series, they pretty much completely reverse the performance from game one, they they obliterate the Celtics in the second half and finish out 123-102 winners. We saw adjustments, we saw big performances from the star players, we saw ferocious defense we saw a transition bucks. we saw plenty of threes we've pretty much seen everything that we wanted to see from the Bucs and everything from the Bucs that has made them the team that they've been all season long
2: yeah it's hard to hard to surmise it much better than that I think I think you, the what you said last I think is really the most prescient and it's something I've started to say quite a bit you know when the Bucs play like the Bucs that they do well and I think after game one, in which I mean, you can talk about all the time off, the team certainly didn't look entirely comfortable for most of that game. I mean, part of that's because Boston was just shellacking them for, for a bit of it. But definitely seems like the rust has been knocked off. The, the Giannis is awake. The rest of the Bucks are awake. Certainly Chris Middleton is eyes open wide awake. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, the Bucs even up the series. I mean, still kind of an uphill road. I mean, obviously, this win, as we said last time, was essential. Going to have to take at least one of the next two here in Boston to give give Milwaukee a, a real good shot at going to the Eastern Conference Finals. But from here, things do look a whole lot better than they did from our, our last episode. There's no doubt about that.
1: No, they did. The Bucks looked like a team that had their – uh, wake-up call or had their run or tough run that they haven't had in the last six weeks and they responded, I thought that, uh, you know, I, I thought that they, respo- they did what they said they were going to do. That's basically what I'm trying to say. They spoke about the energy. They spoke about the defensive effort. They spoke about getting out in transition. And uh, I thought they did that perfectly. They now put themselves in the position where there's five games left in the series potentially. Either team has to win three of those. Uh, and the key thing for the Bucks is three of those games. Uh, oh, sorry, they're going to get two more games of 5 set for them, So if they have to win three games, they just have to pinch one on the road. So that's a situation they've set themselves up with. It was, uh, as we sort of spoke about, a potentially fatal situation if they didn't win this game. Uh, I want to go back to uh, some of the things that we discussed uh, from game one and some of the adjustments that we potentially spoke about there was some panic, I think, from Bucks fans. I think panic is the the appropriate word. Uh, when when uh, we went to practice uh, yesterday, uh, and also shoot around this morning uh, before the game, and Bud was really preaching that he wasn't a big fan of adjustments. He didn't think that was uh, really the necessary thing. He thought it was a little bit overrated. Uh, and I was trying to say, and I said, listen, if it happens during the game and they'd make no adjustments, then it's time to, to be angry at Bud and ask what's going on. But they're not going to come out and tell you what they're going to do to start the game. There's no sense in doing that. Why would they ever do that? And today, from the start of the game, obviously Miritich comes in the starting lineup. That was a little bit forced uh, because Sterling Brown's still struggling with, with some back issues. But Miritich comes in, uh, which was obviously a big change, and they switch one to four from the first possession.
2: They uh, they threw a curveball, you know. We got bamboozled. We got we got tricked. It was a heinous act of trickery. <laughs> um, I think I was certainly comfortable with it. I, I liked. I mean, should we just get right? I want to talk about Lopez because, uh, really, I thought kind of kept the Bucks in the game in the early going when it seemed like Boston was, you know, maybe thinking about running away with this one too. A couple big Lopez threes really kept the Bucks in it, and then kind of Chris took over from there, and then Giannis and Bledsoe and some other guys from there. But Lopez, the lone starter in, in the negatives in plus-minus today, minus 12, and, you know, 3 for 10 from the field doesn't help. 3 for, three for 8 from deep isn't terrible, and he didn't – I, I thought I – I remember offhand one of his twos was kind of one of those slow loping drives he does where sometimes they go in, sometimes they don't. I, I don't mind those too much, but – defensively those lineups didn't fare as well even though the reason I wanted to get to this first is it kind of fascinates me because I still as I watch these games I still don't think he's quote unquote played off the floor even even against Horford I still think that there's room for some Brook Lopez maybe even some more than we got in this game however you know the the I guess if you want to if you want to put it if you want to use a phrase an old phrase you know the proof was in the pudding tonight that you know, that Brooke Lopez being on the floor it wasn't as good for Milwaukee. That is just a one-game sample size. They were better with Brooke on the floor in game one. Where are you at on this?
1: Yeah, this was interesting because I, I do agree that he hit a couple of threes early in the game because – Look, the Bucs, I I had some real concerns earlier in this game with the way this game was trending. The Bucs' offense was not going at all. The first quarter, it it didn't go well. They needed some big shots. And and you know what I mean in the situation. I didn't think the Bucs wanted to be in a situation in the first quarter of this game where you were looking at shots and saying, oh, man, this has to go in. The Bucs really need a bucket. But that was the case. Lopez hit a couple of those. Uh, But as the game wore on, and, uh, you know, as you, you pointed to the box score plus minus, he finishes a minus 12. The other four starters are all plus 20. So that is a big, big difference. And the Bucs really made their run when Lopez was off the floor. And there was a point in the third quarter where I was sitting at the game. I was sitting next to Malika Andrews uh, with ESPN. And I, I looked at her and I said, I don't know if Lopez is coming back into this game. At that point, he had 18 minutes. Uh, and and everything was just clicking for the Bucs. And I, I spoke about... Uh, Milwaukee switching one to four. Lopez was really staying on Horford there. He wasn't switching at all in, in the pick and roll, uh, and he was playing his usual role. If you look at Al Horford's stat line, he wasn't dominant. Uh, what did he have? He had 15 points on the night, Al Horford, six to 10 from the field, three or five from three. I mean, he shot the ball while well. he probably needed to get more looks, but he finishes only a on minus 10 in a game they lose by. In the game, they lose by 21 points, as we spoke about. So, again, I, I don't think Lopez has been played off the floor as such, but I think this is something really, really interesting to, to look at going forward because, again, as I said, all those those other four starters are a plus 20. The big runs happened with Brook Lopez uh, off, off the floor and Ursan finishes... Even though you look at his stat line and Ursan, on only four points, it wasn't exactly a, you know a, a great night for Ursan. He just hits the one mid range uh, jump shot, but he finishes a plus twenty one. He was the Bucks were really really effective when he was on the floor. So this is going to be something to watch for, watch moving forward. I don't think today uh, tonight the way the game was going, you could have played Lopez anymore. I, I it was something we discussed after game one uh, whether the twenty five minutes was a bit low for him, but. I'm starting to feel like that's that's right in the in the right window for him. Uh, and, you know, based on tonight, we'll see if this is a trend moving forward. But I did really like about, we spoke about the big lineups, and I did really like playing a lot of Miritich uh, and also some Samerson and Giannis together mixed in there, I think, with the defense. That works really well. Those three guys, I was actually really impressed with Miritich's feet and defense. I think he did a great job contesting. Even though he picked up a couple of early fouls, I was impressed with Miritich. Uh, but i I... That wasn't where I was going to go first, so I'm glad you did bring up that because that was certainly a
2: noticeable thing from the box score. So where did you want to go first? What's compromise?
1: No, uh, just the defense in general. So I think you're right, and I think that's a part of it, though. I think that's that's um, that was a part of it. But certainly the switching defense, I, I thought that when when I was talking about the Bucs struggling early in the game, it was all offense-related. I really, really liked what I saw defensively, uh, particularly Eric Bledsoe was just harassing guys. And they they hadn't figured it out down the other end yet, but I, I really liked the difficulty of the shots that the Celtics were taking. I liked that there was always in contest there, as I said, right the way through, even if there were a couple of unfortunate fouls. Uh, this is just the Bucs at their best. I think the Bucks players enjoy switching. They're able to really get out there and, and, and you know uh, force turnovers. Uh, contest shots. I think the guys like the challenge of, you know, it might be a, a Middleton on Irving, or it might be even a Miritich on Irving, or who it might be. I think they really enjoy that challenge. I think that's when they're at their best defensively, and uh, I think we saw uh, one of their better performances for the year. They they keep the, the Celtics end up scoring 102 points, but uh, they're under 40 percent from the field and you know 35 percent from three. And I thought for the most part, the Celtics were forced into taking tough shots.
2: Yeah, this is something I actually saw some Celtics people on Twitter point out after game one, or at least allude to. I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, when we were talking about Lopez, that Horford only shot ten times. I mean, that might not be, you know, entirely on Boston as a team. I mean, Al Horford is a guy who doesn't like shooting bad shots. I mean, generally, you'll see him, if he's getting closed out on, I mean, sometimes he'll pull from three. But if he's not open, he he. I think he likes to look to pass more than shoot, and uh, he certainly didn't have as many wide open looks in this game, and I think it was noticeable in that he didn't get to have that big impact this time around. It, it, a lot of what would have been open Horford shots, it felt like in game one, turned into Kyrie Irving trying to do something ridiculous, and he made a couple great ridiculous shots, but he missed fourteen other ones. So that's you, you certainly live with that if you're Milwaukee. Um, Jason Tatum has been, I think, bad this whole series. I, I don't think he's done anything very inspiring on defense. Off, he has, I think, less than 10 points in the series, both games combined. So if, if you're getting the ball out of Horford's hands and getting it into some of these other Celtics players to have a more contested look, that's really good. And I think that's what the switching defense accomplished.
1: Yeah, we're seeing a lot of Chris Middleton on Jason Tatum, and, and Tatum is not handling that well at the moment. He is four for seventeen from the field, and he only has nine points across two games. So, uh, when you look down the other end and see what Middleton's doing, just a huge night tonight for Middleton with twenty eight. Uh, that's been a pretty lopsided matchup. But uh, I, I will say that you sort of touched on something that I, I, I saw early in the game, and it's kind of it's one of those things that worries you because you know how good this guy is but at the same time I think tonight with how locked in the bucks were in defense it played into their hands and that's Kyrie Irving doing a lot of dribbling mm-hmm. and again it, it felt like the bucks sort of threw the Celtics off from the start and it turned into Kyrie feeling like he had to create something out of nothing and the rest of the guys were just standing around uh, around the perimeter not really doing anything so there was some late uh, shot clock uh, Attempts. There was some, you know, poor passes or fumbles. Like I guess it just felt like it all went back on the Kyrie's shoulders, and the Bucks are totally comfortable with that. Uh, Kyrie I mean as you said, he finishes four for eighteen from the field, uh, five rebounds, just four assists. He was a minus nineteen. It was the first time. So he finished with nine points, which was his lowest playoff total since uh, May fourteen. 2015 so that was a long 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 time ago only the fourth time in 58 playoff games he's been in single digits so was
2: that sorry i'm i'm guessing you don't have the log up is that the game when he got hurt and had to leave early
1: yeah he only played 12
2: minutes yeah i was gonna say so in a full game he's never scored this this few i would assume
1: No, the other couple of games that he's been in single digits was a similar type of thing. There was a game he only played two minutes, I think. Uh, I was sort of flicking through it in the last quarter because it seemed crazy to me. But he plays over 30 minutes tonight for those nine points. So he was soundly beaten. Uh, And I I asked uh, Kyrie about this after the game and I asked him about the switching defense and how that affected him. And he pointed to the fact that he thought that he was trying to do too much. He he wasn't uh, making quick decisions. He wasn't making the, the right pass. Um, so, look, this is something we we know this is this is one game, and the Celtics will no doubt uh, pre- prepare for this. Now, this was definitely the Bucks' trump card—the switching defense that we knew was always there. And Bud probably wanted to get away with not using it, certainly in Game One, and, and maybe not in Game Two. But hey, this was a must must-win game for the Bucks, so you you had to sort of uh, go to that. And in the end, it, it paid dividends. But for Milwaukee, the three guys. The three big guys had big nights. Giannis finishes with 29 points, 10 rebounds, four assists. Middleton, as I said, had 28. He was seven for 10 from three, and Bledsoe had 21 points and five assists as well. So, I think if you get in 78 points out of those three, it's probably going to be a good night for you. Would you say?
2: Yeah, it certainly helps, uh, especially when the the defense is playing as well as it does. That means you know you just need not a ton from the entire rest of the roster. And with some of the talent the Bucks have outside of those three, even, you know, they, those guys don't need to have great nights by their standards for, you know, a sound victory. I mean, Miritich only three for 10 from the field scores nine points. You know, it just, it felt like enough. I mean, nobody outside of the main three guys scored more than 10 points, but you get around 10 from four or five different guys. And all of a sudden that's a 123 point performance
1: yeah which you know was was really great to see when the I mean the struggles that bucks had and then you look at the first quarter there was a key point so I want to start with Bledsoe because this this is really big for him i i think this is huge for bledsoe to sort of break the shackles break the boston shackles and finally have, have a really really strong performance the first quarter So he starts the game with a bad turnover where he drives into the paint and sort of tries to flip the ball up to where someone would be when we talk about the blue squares with the Bucs offense. Someone would be at the top of the perimeter. There was no one there. It it turned into an easy dunk down the other end, and the Celtics are on the board. That's the first play of the game. Bledsoe then uh, misses a three, and probably a three that I thought when he took the shot, I was like, I don't know if that's the shot you'd be taking at this point early in the game. He missed it. He then had another turnover after that. And while I thought he was showing promising signs on defense, I was starting to be a little concerned about what we were going to get from Bledsoe in this game. Late in the first quarter, he finally drives into the paint, gets a layup, and I feel like that... Was the moment where he realized, or just just I guess maybe it was the relief of getting a layup. I'm not too sure, but he got that basket in the paint, and from then on, uh, he he was a he was a dominant factor in the game on both ends, defensive end and and the offensive end. He was uh, it was Eric Bledsoe. I think that's the best way to put it. This was the Eric Bledsoe that we've seen all year. This was a similar Eric Bledsoe to what we saw in the regular season last year, and he finally had this really marquee performance against Boston that now when you think it's game two this year, seven games last year, it took nine games. This was it.
2: Yeah. And I think there was two things that I was really, you know, lasered in on early when it seemed like this one could go the Celtics way. And two things I felt like had to change for Milwaukee to win. And one of them wasn't the, uh, the Pat C minutes controversy that I'm sure we'll get to eventually, but it was one was obviously they need more from Bledsoe. I mean, we talked about this. We have talked about this a few times. Even if he's the third guy, and it, he probably is, especially in this series when Middleton's going to do what Middleton did. You know, the he's the he's the third guy, and he's there's a gulf between three and four that I think is bigger than two and three on this team. Those are the big three, if if you want to call it that. And they needed more from Bledsoe, obviously, than what they got from Game One. I mean, you can look at. Sterling Brown had a bad game in in game one, but it just it's 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 just obvious if you watch the team like the Bucks can recover from Sterling Brown not playing well. You know they don't need a great Sterling Brown performance, but they do need that from Bledsoe in in what would be a tight game otherwise. And I think you know we talked about Kyrie; it's not like he's just missing wide open shots. I thought Bledsoe and George Hill both did a really good job guarding him, uh, really all night. And then the other thing was Giannis. I mean, you did obviously the Bucks need to get more out of Giannis and nothing else matters. And, you know, a much better Giannis performance. I still think there's a ways to go and getting him even better looks and opportunities. But I did I was happy to see less just, you know, driving at Al Horford set in the paint because if there's one thing Al Horford does really well, it's contain a guy driving right at him in in, in space. It's just he is good at that. He is stout. He's very smart. He's got good hands, uh, and you know that, that that he was in worse positions defensively. It felt like tonight. So credit again to the Bucks for adjusting and getting out of the sort of rut they were in in Game One.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think the big thing was that there was just a lot less. Stagnant half-court basketball from the Bucs in those yeah. in those final three quarters. I mean, that's where the Bucs got themselves in trouble. They had 23 fast break points tonight, and I do think that, that a lot of that starts with with Bledsoe, and uh, he's not always a guy that it shows up in the points column or it shows up on the box score necessarily. But he is a guy that really sets the tempo, and I think I thought he did a really great job of that once. Uh, he because there was a couple times there early in the second quarter, and this is when I really thought, okay, he's figured it out. This is fine. It's all going to be okay now. It was when he was starting to get into the paint. Uh, he finished a couple, but he also there was a couple possessions there where he was really like working on the glass, and he had he had a big save that led to a bucket early in the second quarter. Just a couple of those hustle plays that were lacking in game one, and they were controlled. Uh, there was controlled play, controlled pressure defensively. He was really hassling Terry Terry Rozier for a stretch there in the second quarter. Unfortunately, he got called for two fouls that just weren't fouls. But outside of that, I I, I thought that he was directing his aggression or directing his emotion in the right way, and I think that's very important for for Bledsoe to do that. So uh, as we said, Bledsoe finishes with 21 points, uh, 7 for 12 from the field. And as a result, which is so often the case with Bledsoe, he finishes three for five from three. He's playing well and doing all these other things, and then the shot tends to fall. That's just the way it tends to work for Bledsoe. If he's uh, not quite doing all those things that makes him such a dangerous player, you feel like he just settles for threes and he never makes them. When he's in rhythm, he's fired up. He's doing uh, work on both ends of the floor. The shot seems to look good. So Bledsoe, uh, it's a big relief for him, particularly heading to Boston, as I said. Uh, the other night. Even if the Bucs won, uh, if Bledsoe didn't have a good night heading to Boston, that would be a little bit of a concern because we know that the Boston crowd is going to be on him. So uh, really good to see him get going. But we should talk more about Giannis. You sort of touched on it then. I thought he was more patient. This was a big thing that we spoke about Uh, early in the game. So I want to get your thoughts on this because early in the game, I tweeted a couple of things that I thought Giannis was, he just wasn't, himself. Yeah. And I I had some bucks fans that were sort of annoyed that I was suggesting that and saying that well he's getting fouled on every possession what do you want him to do? But I didn't really care if he was getting fouled on some of those plays. He was missing shots that he makes even through contact. Those and ones there was three or four that he got to the foul line, but he normally finishes those. I mean, he was right there for him, they were bad misses. He was just lacking that lacking that touch a little bit early. And for the second game in a row he doesn't have doesn't make a shot in the first quarter but once he got going and it was a big left-hand dunk it was his first basket for the game in the second quarter got the crowd going and that seemed to maybe I don't I don't know if wake him up is the right, right word but after that point he really settled into the game.
2: Yeah, I almost wonder if some I mean, I agree with you by the way. I, I think that it was noticeable. I think I tweeted about it too, but I, I almost wonder if Somewhere between you know the the emphasis teams openly and brazenly put on drawing charges on him and you know how well for his standards he was sort of bottled up by by Boston in Game One, I almost wonder if he was maybe just second guessing the way he attacks early on. I mean, in addition to not finishing some of those, where usually, I mean, listen, the foul thing, it, it's it's just gonna get. You know it's gonna drive Bucks Twitter crazy every game. I guess I every team fouls Giannis all the time. Al Horford's not the only one. Uh, clearly, something about the way he does it is making it so he doesn't get called too often. I mean, Giannis still gets to the line 18 times, but I I just don't think you can expect much more than this. I don't think I don't think you should expect Giannis to get more than 18 free throws most of the time. I I didn't think it was an awful job. But, I mean, of course, he gets fouled all the time. And we've talked about this. It's like, so did Shaq. I mean, you you just don't get every call when you're that good and that big and strong and fast and you dunk that often. But anyway, uh, but he also lost the ball a couple times uh, sort of in transition and attacking the basket, which, again, is just not not like him. I mean, that's one of the things that this year made him so good is that he was able to, you know, make some shifty moves. I mean, in addition to just being strong and having that ridiculously long stride, I mean, he would add a little bit of, of in there too, to get around his opponents, get to the basket. And I think crucially, instead of, I mean, he's, he can make some of these like floating away. I think Eric name called them like nerf ball shots. He can make those, but we're used to seeing him flush, you know, slam at home. That's what Giannis has, has been. That's his bread and butter all year is get near the rim and then just yam it on somebody. And I almost wonder if for a second here, more than a second, he was sort of, I don't know, a little unsure, a little, like, a little uncomfortable. And then I think you're right. As as the team sort of coalesced around him, he gets that first big dunk. Everything seemed to be a lot easier for him and for the Bucks after that.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I do also – I will also say, and it was funny, you you touched on the uh, the old Horford thing, and that was certainly a point of contention uh, from Bucks fans in the way that he was defending him. Uh, uh, and Horford did not get called for a foul in the first section of the game. He ends up what's uh, one. He ends up on one foul, which actually was a. I, I'm not sure. I probably need to look at the replay a little closer. I think that was the one on Ursan, who uh, I have no idea what happened on that foul. Honestly, <laughs> I saw the replay at the game, and I sort of was like, "Well, like that's uh, that's Ursan. Okay, all right. Yeah, uh, I, uh, you know?
2: I think I think we call that savvy to be polite to Ursan."
1: Okay, I'll go with that. I will say I, I did have a friend, and I was trying to watch the, I was trying to watch the replay of the game, and also continue watching the play. I did have a friend from Australia uh, who actually listens to the podcast. So, Brent, I got to give him a shout out. But he texts me, and he just, he just said, "Ha ha, Ersan, or something like, along those lines. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I'm like that's uh, that's what he does. Uh, that's that's his thing. That's uh, guile. Sorry.
2: That's what I, that's guile. It's veteran savvy guile."
1: Yeah, you, you said savvy veteran. We'll go with savvy veteran. But he uh, he, uh, he pulled the wool over his eyes. But it's just funny that that was the one foul that Horford gets. So that probably annoys Bucks fans even more, the fact that that was the one that he got. But uh, I, I think one thing that really got Erso going, and this will not surprise anyone, uh, Aaron Baines gets onto the floor. And, uh, I mean, Giannis... I mean, you can almost, I like. I am sitting a little, little way back. Where are the sort of the back of the the lower level at five seven corner? But I swear, I can see Giannis's eyes widen anytime he sees Aaron Baines even about to check into the game. He uh, Banes had two fouls sent to send Giannis to the line in the first uh, minute and fifty four seconds. He was on the floor, and it did not get much better after that. Baines had a rough time on Giannis, as he generally does, and I think that was also a big factor in getting Giannis going, but. It would be wrong of us not to talk about Jonas shooting from three again. Yes. Uh, he had an air ball, an ugly air ball early, and he was actually contested by Baines on that one. Uh and I thought it was an ill-advised shot. And this was a part of that first quarter, you know, I guess concerning uh possessions on offense for the Bucks. But after that, he finishes two for four, so he hits three uh sorry, hits two of his last three attempts, including one. Uh, in the third quarter where he just dribbled the ball up the floor. Baines was really right there in his face, and Giannis said, I don't really care. I I don't don't care if you're right there. I'm just going to shoot it over you. It's nothing but net. So two for four. So he's now uh, five for nine, shooting over 50% from three from the series. And he is looking really confident.
2: Yeah, he is. And this is something I said, you know, after the last game. it's Everyone will chime in and say, oh, it's a good shot, if you get Giannis, to, to let loose a three. I mean... If he makes about half of them, it's not a good shot anymore. It's a bad shot for your defense if he makes 60% in game one and 50% in game two, and you know those numbers probably won't hold up. They'll regress to the mean, most likely. I mean, you can have sustained hot shooting for an entire series. I mean, check out Chris Middleton's playoff numbers (laughs) last year. But uh, I think it's just more than anything else. I mean, this bodes very well for the quote-unquote future. I mean, it's hard to look at that right now in the middle of this – hard-fought playoff series, but Giannis in in high-pressure situations, which, I mean, both of these games, when he's been taking a lot of these threes are, I mean, both of these games ended up blowouts, but I feel like most most of the threes taken were, you know, the game was still close, the game could still go either way, and as you said, especially the one tonight, I mean, just no hesitation, no worry from Giannis, no concern, dribbles up, just pulls right into it, and nails it, and I mean, I tweeted, and I kind of stand by this, even though I think that one was over Baines. I don't think he should really shoot those if Baines is on the floor because I like the easy path to a layup slash dunk instead. But, I mean, props to be honest. I don't think he's pulling too much like we have sort of chastised Joel Embiid for doing in games against the Bucks before. But, I mean, picking his spots, drilling threes, I mean, that's got to be one of the most exciting things about all of this, even within a very exciting overall game for Milwaukee.
1: Yeah, I agree, and and we did speak about this in Game 1, and this was one of the things that we said, look, Giannis really struggled in Game 1 from the field, he was 7-for-21, and we should say he was 7-for-16 tonight, so he's still not, uh, I guess, he's still not at his ridiculous level, which again, that bar is not at a normal level for any other player, but... Uh, you know 7 for 16 tonight You as again like we said the other night it's just a tick under 50% but this is a guy that shoots well over 50% on the season so um, you know he's still got some room for improvement which I guess in a way is kind of scary but on the three-point shot I mean since January he shoots 31% in January 40% in February a uh, bit of an off month in March he's down to 27% in April uh, he was 40% in the regular season now he's over 50% in the playoffs so we have to get to the point now where we're looking at a sample size of around, you know, forty-five to fifty games for Giannis of him being comfortably shooting over thirty percent from three. This is starting to get to the point where you can say, This could be pretty real. That Giannis might have got to the point where he's gonna be that, you know, close to mid 30% shooter from three. And if he gets there, that's uh I mean, that's what we all sort of, I guess, or what Bucks fans have been saying. If he gets there, I don't know what you do with this guy. And now he seems to have that confidence where he doesn't need to be in an open catch and shoot scenario in the corner. He'll just pull up and shoot it, which has been a remarkable development from the start of this season.
2: Yeah, it's almost like it's like something that gets whispered about, you know, on like on Bucks Twitter or within Bucks communities or whatever else, you know, when it's like, imagine if he gets the three, like, don't even, don't even think about it. You know, let's not even, let's not even pretend he's so good now. You know, why, why try to imagine what it would be like, you know, why do that? he, he's never shown it this and that, you know, probably won't happen and it might be happening. And that's pretty exciting stuff. I mean, right now we've seen, you know, especially in game one, the strategy against Giannis, the only way to quote unquote stop him is just drop everybody back and, and play off of him so much. And, I mean, if you do that and he shoots 40% from three, you still lose. So, and 40% is ambitious, but I mean, even like 36%, it's, it's just, it adds so much to his game and it feels like that'll certainly be, you know, a focus of the summer. I mean, he turned down Space Jam 2 to get up some more shots. So hopefully that, uh, (laughs) that works out for him. Yeah, it would be a, uh. As you said, moving forward, it
1: would be a, a remarkable development. Uh, we, I, I've sort of touched on it. I mean, really, really emphasise in the last couple of weeks how many threes he's been getting up at practice. And I'm sure he's been getting them up all the time, but noticeably when we are in there, when the media are allowed in there and we see what's happening, he's been working directly with uh, one, uh, one of the assistants and uh, sort of it, it varies who it is, but he's getting... I mean, with like 20 minutes on his own after practice, just him jacking threes and a lot of those threes off the dribble. He's not just shooting catch and, shoots, catch and shoot threes, which, which was what I've seen him do in the past. Uh, he'd just be passing the ball and just, just working on that form. He's specifically been working on those off the dribble and pull up uh, threes. And that's what we're starting to see in a game. And I think for Giannis, you're not always going to be able to rely on just getting catch and shoot threes, particularly because he's a guy that initiates so much of the offense for the Bucs. So if he's able to dribble in, because we know that the defender, what, like if Giannis is dribbling at you and you're a defender and you're not on your heels backing up, I don't know what's wrong with you, first of all, <laughs> but it, then you're giving him an easy look. And now, all of a sudden, his release looks pretty smooth. It looks a little bit faster than it used to be. And most importantly, he's got the confidence to shoot those. So definitely going to be something to watch. Again, he's not at the level where we want him just jacking those all the time. But the form is looking good. The shot's looking good. And uh, in general, it was just good to see Giannis really start to look like himself in the second half and, and sort of get that... Uh, I guess swagger back that he he looked like he lost a little bit in game one. He looked more frustrated than anything else. So Giannis bounces back, has a double double: twenty nine points, ten rebounds. Uh, again, only plays thirty one minutes. So it's been the theme. It's been the theme of the playoffs in the whole season. Uh, these starters continue to keep their minutes down. But while we're talking about minutes, I think you probably know where I'm going to go with this. I think we need to talk a little bit about Pat Connaughton.
2: Mm. I would agree with you, Kane. I, I think we should.
1: He plays twenty nine minutes tonight. Uh, he was a plus fifteen, and he played some of the, some of those crucial stretches in the second half where the Bucks really blew out the game. But he finishes with five points and he only takes four shots, which I feel a little bit better about. Uh, he does take eleven rebounds and did some. I guess I don't know how else to describe it, but he did some pack on it and things. There was a couple of. Uh, a couple of, you know, important rebounds that he got, uh, a couple of hustle plays. I mean, he's a ball of energy. We know that. But when the Bucks were struggling, and a little bit of this has to do with Stirl- uh, Sterling Brown obviously not really being right. Sterling plays 12 minutes, but Bud did say after the game he was struggling uh, with that back. So uh, as we already touched on, Miritic starts, but Brown... While he played, he obviously wasn't right. And so then, uh, for whatever reason, Bud at the moment is going away from Tony Snell, which really leaves Pat Conant as the only sort of, uh, you know, two, three off the bench that that can come in. That led to Pat Conan playing major minutes in the first half, and he ends up with 29, which is only behind Giannis and Chris. And I think we both agree that's too much.
2: Yeah, we, we, we certainly do, I think. Uh, I talked a bit about that sort of just big lineup with Miritich, Ursan, and Lopez last time. I mean, we could have seen a little more of that. You know, Ursan, I thought, he did pretty well as well. Only plays 18 minutes in this one, probably just because of a lack of small. But, I mean, Bledsoe only played 26 minutes, and he was a plus 23. Certainly could have given a few of those to Eric. I mean, I, I still think Giannis and Chris can play more than this. I think it's cool they don't have to play a lot and I know the blowout kind of changes things a little about five minutes in the end there it just goes to straight up garbage time but I mean I think in a close game the uh, honest Chris Bledsoe should be playing closer to 40 than 30 minutes and then I, if you if you just split up Patsy's minutes right there between those three guys I mean if you had 10 to each you're up to 43 on Middleton which is a lot for sure but I mean, this is not. It's not like he's not used to that, you know, from previous seasons. And I mean, how a kid would play in that much or more in the regular season? Sometimes, I don't know. I mean, I I think there is merit to not completely wearing out you guys. But I mean, just one thing. I, I was poking around here in the lineup too a little bit, and in in one game, they're not that instructive. I mean, obviously, it's just so much. There's so much noise. But Chris and Giannis played 24 minutes together. I think that's a number that could definitely be higher in the playoffs net rating of 30.2 in those 24 minutes. So they absolutely smoke Boston. Offensive rating of 128.3, defensive rating of 98.1. It's Milwaukee's most used lineup, which is good. Two-man lineup, two-man group, I should say. But I just think more Chris, more Giannis, more Chris and Giannis, more Chris and Giannis actions, which again, every time I see those two interact in some sort of a screen, it feels like Milwaukee gets a really good look out of it. But I just I would I would rather get, have those guys be more tired than have Pat C play this many minutes. I just think for the good plays he does, and I think it's kind of I think it's kind of tough because a lot of the bad stuff he does doesn't look as bad because he's always behind his man on D. It drives me crazy, but sometimes he'll do a nice rear contest anyway. We've seen him get those blocks and everything else, and then he'll you know dive for a loose ball and get a couple nice rebounds and everything else. But I just think. I think his bad might not look as bad as as it it really is, and I think his good can look better than it is. Uh, just the way he plays and all the hustle and everything.
1: Yeah, this is uh, this. I think this is something we've certainly touched on. The thing with Compton is, as you, yeah, as you sort of just said, uh, his uh, he's really good stuff that he does, like you cannot miss because it'll be a big block, or it'll be a huge rebound or a huge dunk, and you're just like, wow, Pat, that was, that was pretty incredible. But then his bad stuff is also very noticeable. Like Everything Pat Conan does is very, very noticeable. Nothing goes under the radar with him, which is why uh, I, I think early in the game when we talked about the Bucks switching so much, Pat was a guy that looked like he just seemed to always be a step behind or just out of position because I, I think that by nature, he's so aggressive that it lends him to be, you know, uh, susceptible to blow bys Or um, he might. We know that he loves to contest shots, so uh, he might go up for a block, and then all of a sudden, the whole defense is thrown off. And it seemed early in this game when the Celtics looked like they could uh, get a hold of the Bucs that Pat was the guy that was probably more often than not out of position and the one that set off the chain. So uh in the end, I think it balanced out i think the whole the whole team and the and the offense sort of masked what was going on on the other end and I thought Pat did some nice things I think in the second half he really sort of made up for uh you know some of that stuff in the first half um uh Eric did ask Bud about Pat after the game Bud is always so supportive of his players and particularly. Uh, you know, some of the lesser lesser uh names or non non, you know, big three players, I guess is probably a better word. Uh Bud is generally very, very positive about those guys so Bud was positive about Pat after the game, which maybe will bother some people, but I don't think it should be surprising that that Bud wasn't saying anything negative with a 21 point win at home. But I I think Conodon's minutes is something to watch. Uh we did see Tony Snow come in and played five minutes late. Uh he hits a three. I don't know. I I just feel like, as I said in the last part, I just think Tony Snell brings a steadiness that, uh, again, fits this team. And even if they are going to switch, whether they're going to switch or not going to switch, I like Tony Tony Snell. He can switch over multiple positions. We know he's a really good individual defender. So maybe he just fits better. He doesn't bring some of those, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know what to say. High-energy plays, I guess, is the word that Connaughton brings. But he does bring a steadiness that I like. So, look, Pat Conner and his minutes are going to be something to watch. 29 tonight, probably more than you'd like. Uh, maybe if Meretic doesn't get in early foul trouble, that doesn't happen. But for the Bucs, uh, I, I you know, uh, I just think that this game could not have swung anymore from game one. So... What are you looking for now from Boston in game three? Because I think that when you watch game one and how dominant Boston were, then you watch game two and how dominant Milwaukee were, the difference isn't that great between these two teams. There is some middle ground, and at some point we're going to get a game that's close. I'm sure of it. Uh, What are you expecting Boston to do differently if you have any ideas about that off the top of your head?
2: Um, I would probably hammer some more Kyrie Horford actions. I, I think it didn't feel like they went to that as often this game. And I, I almost wonder if Boston will have a lineup change at some point. It's tough because, I mean, you can look at Tatum and think back to how well Gordon Hayward played in game one and go, well, maybe you can just throw in Hayward there. And that'll, that'll be more high powered, but Gordon Hayward, a bad game too, as well. I yeah. mean, one for five from the field in 31 minutes, just, I mean, honestly, I know he's, coming back off this injury but it feels to me like he's come back i mean it's he probably isn't 100 percent, but it's been months now of of him playing and for a guy like gordon hayward to only have five attempts and one make in 31 minutes in a game where his team was you know struggling on the hole just feels really weird honestly i mean I, i i'd guess i just wasn't thinking about it that much during the game but when i looked at the box score after i was kind of stunned to see you know, Gershon, Yabaselli, and Semi-Ojole having as many or more points as Hayward. And, I mean, uh, Yabu played five and and Semi played 11 compared to Hayward's 31. I mean, it's just – it's weird. I mean, Robert Williams, third, in nine minutes got four points. It's just very strange to me how bad Horford – not Horford, Hayward was, excuse me. So I I don't know if there's an easy lineup there. I mean, the thing about it is – it's easy to kind of look at this and think that the Celtics might have the strategic advantage because they made Milwaukee sort of change things up first. I mean, so did Sterling Brown's injury. But I think almost because, of, because Boston knows what happens when Baines and Giannis are on the floor together, and Lopez really, you know, it's almost like that's a move that Brad Stevens can't even really make. He can't even really consider doing that. They can't go bigger. I just think that, that it's pretty much assumed that that just will not work. You know, they can't and, – and Tice didn't play at all in this game, which I thought was weird. I mean, personally, I think Tice has a little more range defensively mm. to sort of move than Baines. It's odd to me that that wasn't even attempted in, in this game. But uh, I just – I don't think they can go big. So, at this point, you're just looking at swapping out smaller players who it feels like they're all kind of hit and miss for Boston. I mean, Marcus Morris was great tonight. He kind of kept Boston involved for a little while. But I, I don't know what if they can do much lineup-wise that, that – you know that really works aside from maybe trying Hayward as a starter
1: yeah a couple of points there i i thought that uh i agree i when the when uh sorry the celtics uh went to marcus morris uh instead of baines i thought that was great because i i think that's their best lineup to play against the bucks uh, so the fact that they didn't start with bones and they just went to their best lineup in game one and already made that change before the series already started, I thought was a win for Milwaukee because I remember last year the Celtics made a couple of changes and I know again it's a different series, but it felt like uh, Brad Stevens had a few other options up his sleeve that he sort of went to as the series wound on and when the Bucks sort of got an advantage and Stevens was like okay well I'm going this is my counter to that the fact that he went to that lineup early I think is good for Milwaukee because I agree. I don't know what else you do with that lineup. I think that's the best lineup to go against the Bucks. uh And and on the Gordon Haywood point, I was sort of watching him closely tonight on offense, and I don't really know what he was doing. He was sort of just floating around. Uh, didn't seem like he had any interest in being overly aggressive on the floor. I agree. He can't play 30-plus minutes and only take five shots. That's not acceptable for a player of his caliber. And it's not like he's he's – as you said, he's coming back from injury, but he's been – he's been playing really, really well. He had a couple of really good games against the Pacers. He played really well in game one. So uh, I expect him to be a lot more aggressive uh, and I expect the Celtics to look for him a little bit more. I think that Kyrie Irving, like, uh, like you said, I think Kyrie Irving is maybe going to look to do a little less dribbling, involve Al Horford a little bit more. I, I, I think that's the key for the Celtics and they need to go through Horford uh, more often. And... They're going to have to adjust to the Bucks switching. So I think that's I think that's where it threw off their whole game today. We know Brad Stevens is obviously a, a great coach, and he's not just going to uh, double down on whatever they did tonight. They're going to come up come up with some with some options for that. I think there'll be a lot more guy a lot more player movement off the ball, and I think they're going to have to do that if the Bucks are going to keep switching. But uh, you know. One thing's for sure, as I said, like we saw from last year, Brad Stevens is going to have some stuff off his sleeve. So this is going to be uh, a really tough couple of games now for the Bucks. You would love to see them uh, pinch one one of these two on the road and then we're back to square one, uh, back with home court advantage. But the Bucks are going to have to do something that they could not do last year in four attempts, and that's win at the TD Garden in Boston. So uh, that, that game is Friday night. Have you got anything else from tonight or anything on Game 3
2: that you want to touch on? Just one last thing, sort of. You know, a lot is said about how Boston is is much better now because obviously, you know, you get Hayward and Kyrie back. And one of the things you get when you get those guys back is it, it seems like something that the Celtics have struggled with all season. And it's sort of that indecision of, you know, whose team is this? I mean, Kyrie is the guy, he's been the guy on championship teams, but, you know, last year when they beat the Bucks and made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and one game away from the NBA Finals, the guys were, you know, Tatum and, and, uh, and Jalen Brown, and I mean, Horford was there too, but I mean, he's even less so than now, he was never the first option, and you know, there's the Hayward question, as well as the young guys question, as well as the Kyrie question, and we saw a lot of just pure strangeness come out of Boston this season where Kyrie saying the young guys don't really know how to play and then weirdly openingly apologizing for that and involving LeBron for some reason and all this other stuff. And I, I don't know. I don't think that's going to, you know, surface and I don't think it's a powder keg that will explode or anything like that. But I do think it is kind of something the Celtics have to deal with something the Bucks don't have to deal with. I mean, we know. We we talked about it during this podcast. When Milwaukee plays well, you know, Giannis does well. Chris Middleton does well. Bledsoe does well. Those are the main three guys. But I think it's very well known within the team and around the league. Giannis is the guy. And then there's Chris and Eric. And then there's everybody else. I mean, it's not not to be exclusionary to the other guys. But that's the pecking order. It's not in question. It's very obvious. The Celtics have a little more, I don't know, uncertainty there. And I think you kind of saw what happens when they, when they don't know. When, when Tatum doesn't play well and Hayward doesn't play well, You know, I think Kyrie's kind of go-to thing is to dribble the ball a whole lot and just try to make something happen. And I think if you push them to that weird place with, uh, with giving them some adversity, I think you're more likely to get a result like this. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying they're not a very good team, but I just think that weirdness kind of surfaced again a little bit here in this game.
1: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of uh, cooks in that kitchen, and I'm not sure that they're all, uh, I guess, on the same page at sometimes it's As you, as you said, when they're playing well, uh, everything is fine. When they do face a little bit of adversity, uh, I'm not convinced, and I, I don't think anyone should be convinced watching this Celtics team this year. So now we, thankfully, uh, have a series back on our hands, and and the Bucks. Although they lay the egg in game one, and nothing could have, uh, or, you know, it couldn't have gone much worse, they are able to bounce back and win this one in just as convincing fashion as they lost in game one. And now we head to Boston, one-one, and uh, the Bucks, as I said, are going to try and do something that they couldn't do last year uh, in four attempts, and that's win at the TD Garden. So that tip-off is seven o'clock central on Friday nights. Uh, in Boston, the Bucks will play Friday night and then Monday night uh, before coming back home for a game that we now know is guaranteed to happen, uh, the game five. So they will, or they are guaranteed to come back to 5-7 for them. So Ty, I, uh, I think that this was exactly where we wanted to be right now and we wanted to be able to have a podcast and not spend the whole time uh i guess dissecting what went wrong for the bucks and it was nice to talk about some positive things but uh this series has only just begun and we spoke uh before the series and i i think we both said if if this was a split in milwaukee which was a real possibility then we thought it was going to seven we might have a long series on our hands
2: we might and thankfully you know we've got this great platform in the Eurostep and and, you know, podcast partners with each other. It's not like Bill Walton or something. But, you know, we'll be here to talk about all of it. And I'm uh excited to do so. Especially so if uh you know, I talked about this with uh Andrew Doxie from Celtics Twitter briefly. I mean, let's get a good game. I mean I'm I'm totally yeah. fine with the Bucks winning it, but, you know, it's it's knotted up, but it was, you know, one blowout and then another blowout. I wouldn't mind to see a couple tighter games in Boston that uh Really get this series underway and, and get some more dramatics here.
1: It uh, would not surprise me if, if if it happens and it happens in game three. These teams are too good to to play as bad as obviously Boston did tonight and, and as bad as uh, as the Bucks did in game one. They're much better than that. They're going. They're both going to show up at some point, and then uh, you know it's really going to come down to the stars on, on both sides. So the Bucks do win one twenty three to one hundred two. They bounce back. The series is tied at one one. As I said, Friday night seven p.m. In Boston, the Bucks will look to take a 2-1 lead and grab that home court advantage right back uh, to where it was at the start of the series. So, uh, Ty, we will speak on Friday night. I might be in Boston. I might also be in Milwaukee. But either way, uh, we will be talking. And uh, thanks for staying up late with me here. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I really appreciate
2: it. Yeah, I will... Uh... I will tell everyone at work that you apologize for me being uh, a little tired. And, well, really, I think it's, you know, it's the Bucks' fault. And I guess it's no one's fault. It's just the way it is, and that's fine. But, yeah, thank you, Kane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And, uh, you know, rate, subscribe, review, all that stuff. And we'll be back uh, after game three.